What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Least. So Scott Least can't even say my own name right today. Here with my uh, buddy and co-host Richard Harris, and we are joined today by the director of strategic performance. Is that what it is? Revenue Michael. performance. Revenue performance. Director of revenue performance, which I can't wait to find out what that means. Michael Tuso from Chili Piper. How you doing, Michael? Good. Super excited uh, to, to be here on this Monday morning. Oh, thanks for coming, man. So let's start with your job title, since I already <laughs> screwed it up. What, <laughs> what happened? does this job title mean, and what is your day-to-day role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think it's important to give a little bit of context here. So um, I, I distinctly remember like uh, being in a one-on-one early on in the year, maybe two years ago uh, with my uh, uh, CEO. Um, and he was just kind of really casually talking about like the next step of my career and like how that would unfold. And I could tell he was like kind of assuming I wanted to be a VP of sales. Um, and I had thought like really in like intensively about like going down that path and just, it didn't feel quite like me enough. Um, and then along that same trajectory, a lot of like my friends who are VPs of sales, you know, I know dozens and dozens of them, they just didn't seem like the happiest with what they were doing and just always stressed out. And, and then coupled with like, um, you know, attrition metrics being around 17 months for the average tenure of a VP of sales, you know, I'm going on three years, um, you know, in, you know, in my role. And so um, I kind of just didn't like the story that was being painted. And I also thought that, you know, so much of like being a VP of sales, like kind of felt like, oh, wave your magic wand and, and make sales appear as if like other departments don't have a stake and what happens as a business. And so I've kind of used the kind of platform of like why I created this title for myself to like openly talk about like what VPs of sales are, are facing and how the stress I see like um, on a lot of my friends and colleagues faces, you know, when, when, when they really do kind of like have that feeling like, oh, I'm like the one responsible for revenue. And I think a lot of this um, thinking has to shift. And so we, we let it sit and gave it a couple months and um, uh, we sort of toyed around with some other different um, name uh, names for like the title that I could have. And, and then he was like, well, what do you enjoy doing? And I said, coaching and training is the reason why I came here. So the predominant function of my role, it kind of like sits in between sales enablement and what a director of sales would do. I own the coaching and training at Chili Piper. Um, I work on some other initiatives as they come up as well, but like the day to day of my job is like, I'm, I'm really focused on the enablement, coaching and training of everyone and all revenue teams um, at the company. So that's what I do. Gosh, my, Richard, Michael's speaking my language around the life and times and trials of a VP of, of sales. And yeah, I think someone should write a book about it. Oh, uh, wait. Oh, actually that is coming out. I want to be, I want to be Robin to Michael's Batman. On this, exactly. Uh, uh, Scott, you're never happy being Robin the Batman. <laughs> good, for you, good for you, Michael. Good for you, Michael, to uh, to have the foresight to recognize everybody in those roles around you and make a different decision uh, and take control of your your career and kind of 
choose a different lifestyle or level of job satisfaction or, or stress and whatnot. That's, I think that's, uh, it doesn't happen that all that often. You know, I think it's a little, I think it's a bit, a bit rare. Um, so you landed in the right spot where you're, uh, you're able to make that, uh, make that happen. Has it been harder? I assume it's been harder to um, coach and train over the last few months. I know Chili Piper's been fully remote since inception, so mm -hmm. not not so much from that angle because you've been you've been doing this doing doing it this way for quite a while. But is it harder to to coach and train now because the team maybe feels more pressure or they're dealing with new uh objections and powerful objections and that type of thing or is it still kind of same old same old you know because of some decisions that we made like prior to everything going on in 2020 and um kind of how we lead in the company and just funding announcements and things like that the vibe in the company is very much like if i had to summarize it in two words it's let's go like that's just like the vibe i get from everyone it's like really focused on execution and it's, you know, we just got off of some of our best revenue months, um, you know, ever, you know, we just closed our series A, um, you know, in the, towards the end of the summer, um, we're aggressively hiring across departments. So I, I think it's, you know, we feel very lucky, like where we're at right now, but I think that there were some strategic decisions made early on, you know, and, and kind of March and April, I saw like lots of like fear-based leadership and I, I, you know, I'm, I was in college during, you know, the last like recession and everything like that. And um, so I sort of had it in the back of my head, like, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly know what it's like to like sell through something, um, you know, like kind of the world in, in 2020. Um, but I have a feeling that if you really focus on your people and, and, and double down on your product as well, that it will help you um, a lot. And so that was like really what we did. I think, um, in terms of like objections and things, I think that was a little bit more of a struggle, I'd say like April, May, um, just lots of like people trying to kick the can or, you know, um, everything kind of became an excuse of like, oh, COVID and, and a lot of it was real. And we like really made sure like the ones that were real, like really treat those with empathy. But then like also are there opportunities for our product to help people despite everything that's going on and that was like a really, that was a turning point for a lot of companies that we worked with because, um, you know, we, we've seen that our product has really helped in terms of like, not just um, uh, with helping revenue acceleration as well. So it, and it really did help, you know, I was working with, uh, I sort of decided to dust the cobwebs off myself, like in the summer and I was learning about the account management function. Um, so I took on some accounts. I love doing that every now and then just to get like a, a feel for, um, you know, the front lines. And there was one customer that came in that they stuck, they unplugged our software and their conversion rate halved. And so, you, you know, we put that back in for them during, um, during the summer and it doubled again, you know, uh, and so that was like really awesome to hear. So I'd say like overall, we have this, you know, mindset of like execution and helping, you know, our customers and, um, and also like helping our salespeople up their game as well through even more coaching and training like this year. So that's kind of what we've been focused on. So I have a question. Um, and I think it happens regardless of COVID. Um, 
you talk about objections. Mm-hmm. How can you tell what was real? Yeah, so I think it for us, it was like more discovery into like the reasons why. We actually had some like pretty, um, I can I can remember one VP of sales just was like so incredibly aggressive towards one of our sales reps. Um, and it was kind of a, a cool learning. This, this, our sales rep was really like shaken by this experience by this VP of sales. And I can remember like using that. Wait, as stop like, right there, stop right there. Mm-hmm. Without naming the name or the company, what kind of things was this person doing that was aggressive? Uh, total demeanor, like uh, on the, when we analyzed the call afterwards, just super aggressive, um, to- just even like little things like tonality and the way the, the coming across is like a bit like in the direction of like um, entitlement. So um, we have a no discount policy at Chili Piper. Um, I believe that that was what the um, that kind of issue was about, like, for example. Um, and but all of our customers on the platform in the history of the company, like we we've, we've never offered a discount. And I think that was a topic. And so he was getting pretty heated uh, about like that. They, they ended up like um, signing on with us uh, anyway at the output of that. But I think that the sales rep did a really good job of maintaining poise, like responding with empathy. You know, there wasn't really anything that she could do. And so like, despite that, she um, had a really great demeanor in terms of, and so that was a really good teachable moment for her. But a lot of it was like the way it was like said or the way it was done. And it, you know, listening back to the call, even for me, like made me uncomfortable. Um, but it was a good teachable, I think, moment for the salesperson because they responded kind of exactly how you should. Um, so it was more so like the way it was done. How much yeah. time do you, do you spend coaching and teaching tonality and cadence and, and the way people say things? I, I'm very curious about this because um, I feel like it's massively underrepresented and and ignored in training and coaching. Yeah. I mean, we, I spend the bulk of my time um, on -on one-on-one coaching and a big part of that, you know, that was like the first thing that our CEO asked me to like work with it. I can remember in the beginning days when I was building out the SDR team, that was the first thing he asked me to like focus on. And, um, and it's something that we, you know, we still really focus a lot on today because, you know, we're humans, we're emotional beings. And, and so much of how we pick up on that is tonality. And so if you're able to like master um, that how part, you know, you know, the old statistic, the Stephen Covey, like how we receive information, only 7% of that is like the actual what part. But I think that gets like intensified with like sales calls. I think it's even like more important to have good tonality, good delivery, things like that. So we spend quite a bit of time on um, on how things are delivered. We do spend a lot of time on on what they're saying as well. But th- that emotional part becomes like really important uh, for us too. So, but how do you do it? Oh, how? how? I thought you were saying how much. No, no, no. I, I did say I did say how much, and but now I'm saying like, how do we do it? Really, yeah. really, really tactically. Like, if you were going to coach me on my mm-hmm. my tone in a you know in a cold call or my tone running a, a demo, yeah. how how do you teach that? How do you, how are you coaching? Yeah. So this is really interesting to me, and I, I really like I I like kind of nerding out on some of these things, but I had a. 
I had a sales rep recently and I just like couldn't get this concept across. Like maybe it was the way I was explaining it. How, however, um, and then I was like, you know what, like, let me do the role play. And I want you to feel what it feels like an example, a, an example B. And it, it led to like a really cool breakthrough. Like going back to what I said, like we are emotional beings that I can tell him like, and explain to him all day, like logically, but until he like feels and really understands like in his bones, like how to, um, how to do it or how to, um, it's going to be really hard for him to execute. So like little things like that, I feel like really add up. So, you know, I was having him do mock role plays over and over. Um, and then, you know, I, I, towards the end of it, I flipped it and I did multiple examples with him and he started, he had this really awesome aha moment um that enabled him to like execute so much better the next time and it was because he like felt what it felt like to be the prospect so we try to do like little things like that like if i do a demo of a tool i share it with the team if i get an objection or if i give an objection i like someone's response like i share that with the team there's a lot a lot of these like micro coaching um opportunities that isn't just dictated by me like it we i try to make it so that it's built into the organization so it's happening, you know, kind of irrespective of what I do or if I'm present or not. So I try to do little things like that to build it into the culture. And then if I am in a one-on-one -on -one, like analyzing, um, it's asking like lots of indirective questions, like getting them to think about like the why, like why would, why would they feel this way? Why would this happen? Like lots of like you know, ind indirective type questions to really get them thinking. I don't think that we do enough of that. And, you know, if they come up with the ideas, I feel like they're like so much more likely to remember it and execute it and things like that. So that's why I really take like a peer-to-peer -peer learning approach um, and, and not just like a, a centralized, like, oh, like I tell everyone, you know, how we're going to do things. So um, those are a couple of things top of mind. I got a couple of questions. So you're, you got, and you guys are built remote. So this is probably much more intuitive to you guys. Mm -hmm. um, how do your one-on-ones roll? Like, is it still 15 minutes once a week? How do you do it on Zoom to make sure you're not creating more Zoom fatigue and all that kind of stuff? Or is it already so baked in with your organization that, you know, we don't really experience a ton of Zoom fatigue? That's a good question. I think that I, I don't really feel like Zoom fatigue I had never even thought of that until 2020 um, personally and I I think um, when you come to Chili Piper there's this like you know a little bit about like what you're signing up for because like many of these people that we have attracted previously they wanted that remote and I think they kind of like knew that <clears throat> you know you kind of know when you're signing up for a remote company like you're going to be doing a lot of Zoom meetings so I've never heard anyone like mention that and I haven't experienced it myself, like, but I think we're a bit unique in that sense. Um, so, so yeah, that was the, that's the main thing. So I don't, I, yeah, I don't think we really struggle with that internally. It's part. Yeah. Cause I, I, I've decided, I mean, I started talking about a little bit is that zoom fatigue is just bullshit for people who finally realize they've allowed themselves to be overworked. Like, yeah. they're, like it's their own fault. Like it's just your yeah. experience factory stop it you know but but you know the next question is i want to go into deeply on is scripting right mm -hmm. scott and i are big proponents of scripts mm -hmm. how do you balance scripting with your team because it sounds like that's what you, you know, I mean to me that's what role playing is anyway it's developing your script mm -hmm. right that's why you do it 
do you get much resistance to scripting it at at Chili Piper? Or is it like, no, we get it. Like, again, it's just so baked in because this is how we do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, account executives, I work, I've been working um, much more closely with them recently. And, uh, you know, they, a lot of account executives I work with sort of are, they have this like independent thinker mindset, which like we have figured out how to, um, to use that energy to really help with our processes and our buy-in. So if they have ideas and maybe, maybe I don't agree with them or I do agree with them, like we allow for the space and we encourage them to say like what's on their mind. Um, and so again, like because of this like type of culture where they're super invested, they're way more likely to do the things that um, we know to be successful anyway, than if I had this mindset of like, just, just do the coaching, how I say to do it. Like it's much more engaging. And then I actually end up achieving the, as you call it, like the script much faster um, anyway, because I have their buy-in. And so it's been this like really neat experience for me where there, there's not pushback. It's like, it's like idea sharing is the way it comes across. And it's just so relieving. Like um, it, uh, it's the culture I've always wanted to build as a salesperson, but, uh, and, and as a sales leader, but I never had the opportunity to. Um, and so, so the, with the scripting and things like that, you know, there, ha there have been like challenges to it. Like, I think this would be better. And we've allowed them kind of that space to do it sometimes. And then usually what happens is they come back to the original way, you know, because it's like lots of years of learning built into that. But I let them go and experience it on their own. And then we use it that even as a teachable moment. And it's still way faster than me just saying, do what I say, you know, that type of mindset. So I've, I've kind of really enjoyed, um, you know, that kind of scripting element to what we do. Yeah, that, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, there's a difference between following a script and sounding scripted. Exactly. And, you, and when you explain it to people, they're like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> so but role playing is really just a big scripting exercise. You know, to, to yeah. Make. Yeah, exactly. Like I've I've tried like putting like a tiny, you know, and to me, it's also like this like preparation element, too, because it's like if you, you know, we we're talking about tonality earlier, if you kind of have a general idea of what you're going to say, and you know that it's like very good, you can focus more on the delivery and the tonality and how you come across and that emotional element. It, whereas like, if you wing it, you, you're, you're robbed of that. You, how it's really hard for us to both be focused, you know, on the message and, and, and delivering at the same time. Like for me, I always teach it as like, the more, you know, your script, the easier it is for you to listen. You can pay, you yeah. can't pay attention to other nonverbal cues. Right. Um, I'm going to shift this entirely, right? Because you have a very different background, right? Mm -hmm. You spent a ton of time in politics. Mm -hmm. right? um, you know, you worked uh, the Obama exchange, the Obama administration. You were an intern for a U.S. senator. You were um, uh, you were on some a couple of campaign things, mm -hmm. lieutenant governor stuff. Mm -hmm. So, when the heck did sales come into your world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, in in college, I was crazy and thought that I should uh, run for student body president as a freshman, <laughs> like literally like a few, few months into being on campus and uh, no one expected me to win. And I, I don't even think I expected to win because I had a student body of 16,000 at the time, um, but I did. And it was like crazy intense experience for me that next year um, 
as a sophomore, it was still the most difficult thing I've done. And uh, like even career wise and everything like that. Um, just like balancing like school and then like this is like literally way more intense than a full-time job and then at least the way that I took it uh, and so I ended up um, networking with a bunch of other university leaders um, and the student body vice president at another school that I had met was in sales like he uh, because I was so young everyone was like three years older than me so he graduated and had this experience and I was like interning in politics and things like that um, and, uh, I, in my last year of college, I studied abroad in Peru and I taught myself Spanish. And then I was like, someone sent me this book that was like, don't go in the corporate world, like right away. And then I had this like mindset of really like exploring the world as like a 22, 23 year old. So I graduated college, started working for a consulting firm. Then I was like working around the clock on this lieutenant governor's race, we won the primary by 40% of the um, margin. And then uh, ran a super intense, uh, uh, in a a swing state, super intense campaign. Um, And we lost by 6,000 votes. You know, it's kind of good timing for that. We just obviously went through an election and, you know, we are all aware of how close things get. Um, but 6,000 votes, I think it was a, a, like close to 5 million casts or something like that. You know, that's like my neighborhood is 6,000 people. So it was super, you know, interesting. And then I kind of had this thought like, you know, what about this sales thing? You know, um, it's really similar to politics, but it has no expiration date. You know, politics, you're, you're done in November. And then uh, I, I literally saw that, that friend post on Facebook about a job opportunity doing sales abroad. And I was like, this is too good to be true. Um, And it wasn't too good to be true. Like so many of my mentors today came from that opportunity. And I basically was an SDR traveling through South America um, and Central America. So so your first sales gig was overseas. Yeah. This dude punches above his weight class, everything, right? Freshman, I'm going to run for office and win. Right. Then I'm going to go to this primary thing and win. And it's like, sure. Like there's no, there's this lack of fear in you, Michael, which is beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful thing inside of you. So that's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I get excited by like, um, by challenges and doing things that haven't been done before. And, um, and, you know, I think, I think it is important, you know, whether it was like my own campaign or, um, the lieutenant governor's race, I think it would have added, uh, you know, diversity to discussions that, you know, didn't have that. And so that's been a real big motivator for me, um, even into my work that I, I do today. Like, I think it is important to do things that haven't been done before to add that level of diversity to the conversation as well. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think it is important to, to, to be a first to do things and, um, and let that be a, a guiding principle of, of, of my career. Now, what was it like selling in Costa Rica? I don't know if you know this, Richard, but this is where he started was in Costa Rica. What is like a Costa Rican sales org, sales floor look like? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So I actually did six months in Bolivia before I did a year in Costa Rica. And, um, 
a couple months in, I'm like in a taxi on the way home from, I think I was at the eye doctor getting new contacts or something. And I get a call and it's like, Hey, you're in the new SDR manager. And I was like, what? Wait, that's and how you got promoted. That's how I got promoted to be an SDR <laughs> manager. <laughs> and, uh, that's awesome. Uh, you might know him. Tito Bort was my boss at the time. Yeah. And I said, what? Okay. And then, so I just literally was like started training people and like whiteboarding. It was a very simple office. We had just like laptops, bare bones, like nothing on the walls. Um, you know, we had a coffee budget. I was excited about that. And we had really, you know, Tito's really good about excursions and providing like an events budget. And so we did all these crazy, you know, I went bungee jumping and um, I'm a huge fan of whitewater rafting and we did some of that down there. Um, but it was really difficult. I, I always like um, tell people it was like managing like SDRs and like the MTV show, the real world at the same time. And that's like literally what it felt like. So when I got back, it was so, you know, I was like, you know, I don't have to like, because uh, I also kind of had to manage people outside of work a little bit too um it, more like a chaperone and then when I got back to the U.S. and was a manager it, it was so much easier because I could just <laughs> work so um yeah and the people that, the, mental note here Richard in case we decide to hire a uh, a sales team in Costa Rica totally agree and and unfortunately Scott doesn't know what real world is so um <laughs> so he's he never watches those shows so I unfortunately know them all. Um, so, so just out of curiosity, where were you? And like, were you able to find? It sounds like you were able to find good talent down there. Is were you in a particular city, a particular area? Yeah. So um, we spent the bulk of our time. Oh, we lived in San Jose, um, and we basically every weekend took like trips to the coast, like go to the beach, um, uh, and and things like that. It was basically every weekend, you know, because some of them were only there for six months. And so they were trying to rush in the, uh, most of them were only there for six months, like gigs, because as a manager, it's kind of assumed I would be there longer. So I would like do six months, come home for three weeks, do six months, um, was kind of the, the routine. <laughs> and it was, um, but half of them were um, US citizens. So we would fly them down from uh, most of the time from North Carolina, which is where the, our office was. And then the other half we would hire locally, which um, was a little bit more challenging, but there's a lot of expats in Costa Rica. So that angle was really kind of easy to hire from. So yeah, it was super interesting. This is, this Scott is so angry right now inside because he's like, where was this job 15 years ago when I needed it? Right? You, would have, you, you would never hear from me again. You would have never heard from me in the first place. <laughs> so, um, so what are you seeing these days in trends, right? Like in terms of SDRs and the and what's coming up with them. We now have a much bigger pool of experienced SDRs, in my opinion, just in in general terms. Has anything changed in what you're looking for in the last year or two, aside from the COVID piece? Mm -hmm. Like are certain skill sets changing, certain things of like, oh, we don't need the, the former athlete as much, or no, we actually do. We need to double down on that. Like, what are the things you're seeing? Yeah, this is such an important question to me. Um, I think like if you compare it to that experience um, that I was talking about like seven, six or seven, six or seven years ago, and then now even even that kind of difference. Uh, it was a lot more cold calling back then. Um, 
I think that the skills are different today. Um, I think it really highly depends on the organization too. Um, we were pretty exclusively focused on cold calling with like some limited uh, emailing, but I think some of that was like the org I was uh, working for, you know, but it was before like some of the big engagement tools got super popular and things like that. I think they were just being, um, you know, brought to market effectively. Um, and then, uh, so this, I think that the skills are pretty widely, you know, different. I think of our, when I think of our top SDR, um, he is like a little scientist almost, you know, like he could cold call and he has that in his back pocket, but he's so good at analyzing accounts and he's like good with like email replies and, and, and writing emails. And so he, I think SDRs today have different types of experiences that have grown over the years. And I think as the, the profession develops, like we um, are adding more skills to it, just like any other job. And well, I what think are they, right? So let's, let's, so technical chops is one thing, right? Like the ability to just understand technology, which, you know, for Scott yeah. and I, we were not digitally native. Um, so I, I can get that copywriting, writing, English skills? Like, are you looking for someone who majors in English now? Like, what, what are some of those things to your, to your point of, of this person's ability to, or, or being an, an experimenter, to be a little scientist? Okay, so I would really differentiate like the, the English kind of literature and then copyright. I think everyone should be reading books on copy right now. I just think that you, copy is such an important skill for salespeople and marketers in general. Um, but I'm not necessarily ex expecting an SDR to like be an expert on that. Um, for, let me be specific. One of the things that I think um, the engagement technology has done is it automates a lot of the things that we're um, asking them to do, like the calls, the emails, the LinkedIn touches, all of these things are automated. And then it becomes even more important to focus on the human element. And so that's why copy is so important. But uh, so for example, one of the things SDRs usually struggle with is like once someone replies, like what do they do next? And so there's so much white space there for, for improvement. So I remember one month, December of last year, actually, I just focused on that one thing with the SDRs and their numbers went up like so much because there was so much room to help them think through and, and it's still sales, right? It's just done over email. Like if someone has an objection over email, how can you move past that and, and still get them you know, interested in your product? And we just did a little bit of work there and it had really big results. So I think this like human element becomes even more important as you're automating the things that people- so what kind of doing. things are you teaching them, right? Like, you know, it, well, two questions. One, what kind of things are you teaching them? And two, um, is there a resource, you know, is there a, a, a simple ebook yet of here's the kind of stuff and, and to your point, not just SDRs and BDRs, but AEs. Um, so what kind of things are you teaching them specifically? And then where, where else can people learn about that? Yeah, the ebook is, uh, is, is fair. It, it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, ha haven't yet. Uh, for example, we bring in a lot of outside learning. So Never Split the Difference is a, is a big book that um, we have everyone in our sales team. But specifically with the SDRs, we practice um, mirroring prospects through um, email specifically. And we have some really awesome examples where 
um, you know, one of our SDRs replied back to an email literally in the same like paragraph format using the same type of language, like right back to the prospect. And it worked like a, like a charm that that's just like one example. Another example, uh, one SDR, the most common thing I see is the SDR tries to re respond back with something that isn't the main concern of what the prospect was bringing up to begin with. Um, and that's been at Chili Piper and, and previous companies I've worked at. And so I really try to get them to focus on like, what is it that this person cares about in this specific objection? And if you address that, then you can get whatever the next uh, thing is, whether it's a demo or, you know, them to bring someone else, else in on a meeting. That's like the biggest thing hands down that I notice is like just addressing specifically head on what the person is like most most concerned about. So I spend a lot of time on on that specific thing. Um, mirror, like I said, mirroring is a big one um, as well. Um, we don't do as many calls anymore, but um, when we did, I really encouraged people to do like warm calls, whether they're an SDR or an AE. Um, you know, it's so much easier to just say, hey, let's hop on a call for five minutes and talk this out. I see like a lot of like people trying to do almost like a full negotiation over email. Um, so I think that there's still a lot of opportunities for us to use the, the phone maybe in a different way than we have before. So like little things like that. What, so I mean, we've focused on the phone and, uh, <clears throat> and email and copywriting, but there's a lot of other skills that are emerging or have emerged or will emerge. Can you talk about some of those? Like for example, Here's a skill set that you have to be good at now um, that didn't exist when Richard and I were, were first getting started selling, or, yeah. and, and you maybe, yeah. um, video prospecting. You yeah. didn't have to be good in front of the camera, right? You didn't have to, to tell a story, be funny, be cute, whatever, to get somebody's uh, attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just maybe content creation in general, utilizing yeah. every platform you can think of. Um, so there's a couple, and maybe you could speak to how you think about coaching and teaching on those skills and, and maybe any other skills that you see developing down the road. Yeah, I think one I would, um, the, the first one that comes to mind is uh, targeting, I think a lot um, the SDRs I've worked with in the past like five years have more freedom, um, I think, in targeting than I did when I was an SDR. Like I was literally uh, told just call this list all the time. Um, our SDRs here have freedom. You know, we give them the ICP, we train to it, we show them how to do it, but then they have the tech tools to build their own list as long as they're, you know, operating by the rules. So I would add like targeting is like a big one um, to that list. Uh, uh, the social element for us at Chili Piper has been big. I, I, I didn't do any of that as an SDR. Um, our team is like pretty active. Like we've even done like trainings just on social media um, and how to get people to engage with your uh, content. Um, so that those have been like fun examples that we've done um, as well. Um, we've done all, we've even done trainings on like neuroscience. I didn't do any of that as a, <laughs> as an SDR. That was like super fun. There was a book written called the enigma of reason, 
and there was an article I sent it over to our CEO and he like absolutely loved the book. And, and then I asked him to do a training on it after he read the book. And it was like super fascinating. Um, so like, I didn't talk about neuroscience as an, as an SDR. Um, so uh, the video component, um, I love when I receive like a quick, like straight to the point, like Loom or, you know, Vidyard or um, even, even Zoom video. I think that that, um, the reason why I like it and, and even with some of the good cadences that you see is that it's um, the good ones are really experiential. Um, so it's not this like, oh, like, hey, I see that you're the director of revenue performance. We can help you improve by 5x. Can I have 15 minutes on your calendar? If your emails sound like that, I would like, let's talk because um, because that was when I was an SDR and we shouldn't be using that messaging anymore. Um, so I think that there's a lot of areas, targeting video, social, to your point, like everyone is a content marketer now, um, which we talk about copyright. Um, there's a lot that has changed. Now, let, let's say that I'm a, I'm a head of sales and um, I would love to get budget to, to have somebody in charge of like training and, and development. Like I, I need to, to hire a, a Michael, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you measuring your impact? What are the KPIs, if you will, mm. that you know, Michael is, is judged on and I assume you know, as part of your variable compensation, mm-hmm. right? Because that ties into you know, the old ROI discussion of like, well, if I give you the budget to hire this particular individual, mm-hmm. Scott, like, you know, how am I going to justify their existence? So yeah. walk me through that, um, that process. Yeah, I think um, if you are someone that's like, oh, I identify with this, and I want to be like coaching, you know, and training people a lot too, I think that becomes a part of your discovery in your interview process. Like, it's okay to have deal breakers and to bring that to the table. Like I remember I, uh, I had a boardroom of like all these execs of a $5 billion company. And I was like, you know what, we're going to change the energy in this room. And I said, here's the assignment, all of you role play. And I literally had like the VP of HR, like role playing with the CEO or COO. But I was trying to like make this point that this is a deal, like coaching, training, role play, things like that are a deal breaker for me. And I'm okay with, you know, not getting this job if your leadership team isn't like already, you know, bought into that. So I think if, if you're one of those people that I really identifies with that as me, start the discovery process in your interview. As far as your question about KPIs, um, there's a lot of really interesting research going on about the, around this right now. Gallup is saying that not, um, that, that this type of like leadership, the coaching and training mindset for uh, managers um, is the only way to, to move forward with management in this new world. So not like there's multiple different, you know, types of managers and things like that. This is the only way forward. You have to be able to coach, train, enable, and empower your team and managers that can't do that will not be successful. Yet Gallup also produces statistics that we as organizations are choosing the wrong manager 80% of the time. So there's a huge disparity in like what we need and what we're getting. And so um, we've been knowing metrics years. I think we all know that. Exactly. Like, right? exactly. like that, that doesn't surprise I don't me. Know about, I don't know about 80%. Uh, if you would have, if Michael would have said, 
how often do you think we're selecting the wrong managers? I would not have said 80%. Yeah, but Scott, you're very good at it. You, <laughs> you are like, like kudos to you, man. Like I've worked for you. I've worked with you. You, not only that, but you're also a manager who teaches managers how to manage. Exactly. Yeah. Very different than a lot of other people. And it all comes intuitively to you. Like it's, this, this, people don't, people don't know this. Percent is a terrifying number. This, this is a terrifying number to me. Well, there's also good numbers too. And I think some of those good numbers are like for, you know, on conservative estimates, every $1 you invest in coaching, you get back at seven or $8, you know, there's different stats out there like, like that too. And I think, to me, those are the stats that I grab onto and I can see it every day and, um, you know, and, and, and what I do and, and also how the, the reps engage with a, a culture that is coaching based as opposed to like a culture that is fear based. And that coaching based um, culture is, you know, one that it's the, it's the number one thing that people tell me, like why they want to come work at Chili Piper. And I think that's a, a really awesome thing to kind of you know, to be people's number one reason to want to work there. So, um, but yeah, that, that one to, to $7 is like super important to me, but also um, I am judged on the onboarding and enablement of, um, uh, but also the continuous kind of education of the team. So I've even had in the past, like conversion rate metrics, um, you know, we try to break them down and not just always make them revenue, but, um, but yeah, onboarding has been like a really big one, uh, consistently. Onboarding also, like, like speed to ramp or yeah. number of new hires that actually made it through ramp. Mm-hmm. Both. Uh, we do both. Um, I'm a bit unique too, and that I'm also like involved with hiring which I really like because I'm able to kind of track what's going on in onboarding too. And I know like maybe like enablement professionals um, don't always have that. Um, But just because I've been been with the company since um, like the super early days, like that's something I've retained doing is like a lot of the hiring, which has been really awesome to be able to, to track, okay, is what we're looking for tracking and pacing to the things that we look for later that also correlate to, to revenue down the line and, and how, how can we iterate and learn on that? So that's been one I've been like really focused on too, but also really focused on this continuous education piece. So, um, um, so yeah, conversion rates have, have been like a big one for, for me. Um, I've actually never had a, like a strict revenue goal because we um try to break them down into like smaller more digestible goals for me that's super interesting i've got i've got two questions for you and before we do just a quick shout out to our sponsors of lead 411 vidyard gong perception predict and find them um and you might you should go check out find them by the way they're supposed to be able to help you find those 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 a plus players who are sort of passively looking but um Two questions. So one, how long do you think, and granted you're, you would be, you know, the exception. How long do you think it takes to build a good coaching culture into the organization? Um, I, I think that you, if you have like, if you're a founder or starting a company, like, I think you should start at the beginning. Like it will never do you wrong. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, kind of not just like my attitude, but like a lot of the emerging like leaders are really grabbing onto these concepts. Um, and so I think, 
I think, I think you should invest as early as you can, but if you, if you haven't quite yet and you're like, how do I, you know, make that transition? I would dedicate people, um, you know, to this type of, uh, to, to this type of role. Um, I think that it only has good repercussions for your, your sales team to be in that coaching like mindset. And I, I would actually like put resources behind, um, behind this idea of like coaching and training. You know, I think one of the biggest problems, you know, with, 50% 50% of salespeople missing quota on a, you know, on a, at a conservative metric. Um, I think it's fair to say that salespeople can learn a little bit more on how to do their jobs. And I think so often, you know, I think back to like when I was a sales rep, so much of it was like, make your calls, do your dials, hit your revenue, like here, or you're going to be on a pip. Like I still have some of those things in my mind. I was like, that's just like not the most transformative way to lead. I literally remember being in onboarding uh, and then there's a class of nine of us. And just after a couple of months, boom, six of them are gone, you know, whether they attrited. And uh, in the month after that, I was work with me at Leapfish with under Scott. Like this was Scott. We've all been there. We've all been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you for a, a slight jab at Scott. So. No, you're you're good. But I I just think that like if we're if we spend a even a little bit more time showing people how to do things, it it just makes it so much better. Yeah, I I completely agree. Well, so so this is our last question we always ask everybody, which is you know what can we do for you? How can we help you? Yeah, with a lot of things, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, 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 um, there's sort of two things top of mind uh, for me. Um, I guess uh, one of the, one of the big things is um, a- attracting talent in the enterprise space. So um, Chili Piper has been, uh, has been really focused on, um uh, at first, we were kind of split by geography, but our new tra- uh, transition has been um, uh, splitting by market. So we have a mid-market team and an enterprise team. We just brought in uh, a SVP of sales in this area, but also like super curious, like um, your thoughts or any advice for, um, you know, going upstream and building out, uh, how would you build out different processes for enterprise versus at mid-market? I'm going to let Scott tackle that one first. Oh, thanks, Richard. Um, I mean, the first thing that I that I would do would be to bring on people and try to attract talent who've done it before. So you don't have to invent everything from scratch or do as much planning and research ahead of time. I always try to bring in people who have a really good understanding of something, um, especially when I don't. Mm-hmm. That way I can kind of let them lead me a little bit. So that would be one thing that I would try to do. So, you know, as you're going about trying to bring in talent, find people who've been through this process before, not just of enterprise selling, but of taking a company and a product that's primarily been in the SMB or mid-market and Mm -hmm. taking it to the enterprise, right? So for example... I'm thinking about my old team at Qualia. We did this exact thing. We started small, slowly moved up. Mm-hmm. Now we have an entire team that works strategic accounts, selling million dollar deals to government and stuff like this. 
one of those type of folks now who has done that in a startup would be a, a good a good place to kind of start on the on the attracting talent uh, side, right? Mm-hmm. That so that's sense. where I would start, Richard. I'd go so far too, and I think you have enough experience. Um, and I think there's a lot of experience where I would even try to interview some of your customers, mm-hmm. right? Try or previous customers, people you have in a relationship with that are enterprise, and say, "Hey, we're thinking of doing this." And what are the things that mean that's meaningful to you when you know you've met the right enterprise guy, or that you can? Tr- I think actually the question is. When do you know you trust the enterprise sales rep that they're not just there to try and close you some six or seven figure deal? Mm-hmm. And what are those qualities? Because I think part of it is understanding how it's perceived by your buyer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's, you know, with you guys, you know, you could ask internally if we've ever bought something that's six or seven figures, how do we know we trusted the rep? Because ultimately that's what it comes down to. And then you can build that into your hiring process, even into the sales process a little bit. Um, and, and that's and the interview process. So those are my ideas. So la- actually the last question is which answer was better, Scott's or Richard's? <laughs> Why are you going to turn it into a competition? <laughs> they were equally as good and very uh, different. I love the hiring and I also love the interviewing customers. I don't think that... Uh, you can never do enough of those. Yep. This is how you know Michael's been in politics a long time. <laughs> exactly. But we really appreciate you spending some time with us and I uh, hope you have a good rest of the, the month and a good, uh, good holiday and good Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. This was awesome and a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Michael. We appreciate yeah. it.